Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with John Midgley, who is the production sound mixer on the film The Imitation Game, directed by Morton Tildum. The Imitation Game stars Benedict Cumberbatch, who portrays Alan Turing, who is a British mathematician and pioneering computer scientist who was a key figure in cracking Nazi Germany's Enigma code, which helped the Allies win the Second World War. The film was shot over nine weeks in various locations around England, and we discussed the wide range of gear John uses while working with this talented ensemble. I hope you enjoy. For you, when did you first find out about this project? Were you aware of um, what the, of the story and, and what this film was about? Um, I've always had uh, a real interest in, in the whole Bletchley uh, you know, situation in terms of what happened during the Second World War. Um, and um, I'm going to mention it, but I also did a film called Enigma, okay. which was the earlier rendition of this. Um, I know the producer very well, Peter Heslop, mm-hmm. and as you know, because I did King's Speech, right. and so therefore I, I, uh, I was uh, brought on board quite early because of that. Okay. And I guess just based on the subject matter, um, what, what did you feel in terms of, because it seems like it's a lot of it was shot in and around, you know, the university and, and kind of the lab and whatnot. Was that the case for when the production happened? Or where was this all shot? It was shot in various different locations. Um, we used Bletchley for the dance sequences. Uh, we used a, um, a hospice called the Sue Ryder Home in Nettlebed for the exterior of Bletchley. And uh, we used Sherburn School because uh, Alan Turing went to Sherburn. Yeah, sure. Makes, makes sense. And um, I mean, what, what, what was it about working with uh, Morton uh, Tildum, the director, that um, did you find was just kind of unique about this project? I think uh, his, um, his, Morton's angle on it is very different because he's Scandinavian. Okay. I know that sounds strange, but I think directors <laughs> can come up with different things from where, how they were brought up and how they were born. And, you know, and uh, therefore, he had a different slant on how he wanted to cover each scene and also just his approach to the, 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 uh, the subject material. What did you find in terms of uh, the timeline for this production? How much time did you guys have to... Uh shoot the whole thing? We only had about nine weeks, which is quite short in terms of uh, many films. Uh, so it was, it was quite condensed. Uh, but it was enough time. And also, we were lucky with the actors in terms of, this, and especially the ensemble stuff. They really knew, that, knew their stuff in, in, and could... Uh, some of the scenes we shot, for instance, in the Sue Ryder home, where we had all of them, you know, all 10 or 11 of them in one room, were just fantastic the way they were bouncing off each other. So uh, who from your crew did you uh, bring along? Who, how, what is your crew assembled of? Who are those members? Uh, my, my, my crew was, consisted of um, Howie Bevan, who is my boom operator on the last two or three films, and Charlotte Gray, who's been with me as a, uh, as a maintenance for about the last nine years. And that's, uh, then we had a playback operator for the dance sequences okay. for Martin Seely. Yeah. And uh, what can you say just about having a small team of just only maybe three people of, for a project like this? Is this something that is kind of a typical setup for you? Uh, this is, uh, I suppose this is normal for this sort of size of production in terms of the fact that certainly to our eyes, this was a medium budget film in British terms. Do you ever have any conversations with the the post guys about the tracks that you're handing off to them? Um, 
well, luckily, I know the post-production people quite well. So uh, I was hoping they would um, pass. If I passed them over to them, they would be able to deal with them in a friendly <laughs> manner. Uh, sometimes I do productions where, you know, they get sent away and uh, a, year, a year later I might be asked a question. Which is, but obviously on this sort of production, firstly, it's quite condensed. They have to turn out a, um, they have to turn out a, um, a, a cut very, very quickly. And then it was passed over to the, the sound guys. So um, it was, no, it was, because it was condensed, actually, I feel that they probably got the best out of it. Yeah. What were some of the, um, some of the more challenging environments? Did you have a lot of um, exteriors that were? Oh, yeah. I, I think really that when you're trying to do a film adaptation game where uh, it's, it's a period movie shot in 21st century London, and it's always going to be difficult. Firstly, for instance, um, we, if you remember the scenes uh, where Kira Knightley appears to do the crossword test, yeah. which and that was shot in um, a, an old art college in London where the tube trains are running underneath the <laughs> underneath the floor probably every thirty seconds. Oh wow! So that was quite quite difficult. Uh, we used um, uh, locations. Um, we used a, an old airfield out at Vista, um, which uh, there's a main road at. We had it's basically it's all the sort of problems one faces, unfortunately, trying to do this sort of film. But we we probably managed most of them. Yeah. So what what is your current setup? Well, what what does your cart uh, include gear wise? Okay, I, I'm uh, I'm now totally digital in terms mm -hmm. of the fact that um, I run two Divas mm -hmm. and I have a Yamaha O2 mixer, uh, which is, seems to be actually quite. A, I got that off Mark Ulano, who uh. suggested uh, trying out the mixer, uh -huh. and uh, I have to say I haven't looked back. It was a very good suggestion. What have you found in terms of uh, just you know having? Well, what was your setup before? Uh, I, w I was using an audio development um, analog mixer, uh -huh. and I discovered really, for instance, when I did the Muppets, that uh, I didn't have enough inputs. Okay. And I wanted more flexibility with what I could do. And uh, I think I met Mark a couple of years ago out in the States, and he was talking about it. So I thought, well, I, I, I should try these mixers out, and uh, I haven't looked back. What have you found in terms of just going through an all-digital workflow? How does it change? How, you, how you, I mean... Obviously, you physically mix probably the same, but what does it change in terms of your mindset of how to approach a scene? I think what's interesting about, for instance, using a digital mixer is the fact you can have the mixer can memorize all your settings. Okay. And that's quite useful, especially when you have this number of people speaking in a scene. Uh, I'm used to micing everyone up. So therefore, you end up with sometimes, as, uh, you know, 12, it's not unusual to have 12 or 14 tracks. Uh, all of which somehow you have to remember down the line of how you did it, mm. because often you have to go back and do exactly the same thing again. Right. And what do you find in terms of uh, just how you've cataloged stuff? I think in the more analog world, it's a lot of pencil and paper, and obviously you're making track sheets and and record logs, and that's pretty much all the same. But it just do you find that there's ways to simplify the process on your end? Interesting point, because what's happened I've found over the last year that uh, suddenly the editors have, have sort of woken up to things called CSV files, which are basically what the diva writes after you write your analog, your, 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 your sound files. <laughs> yeah. onto, after you've mirrored your sound files, you also do something called a CSV file, mm -hmm. which has 
supposedly most of the information on it. It doesn't have my cryptic comments and it doesn't have <laughs> yeah, yeah. what goes wrong and what goes right. Yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm still very old-fashioned and I will write reams of notes, which I'd like to think they're, they're read later to explain what went wrong or, what, or suggestions, what to do and what to, what to use. Yeah. And also, I, don't, I think it still pays off to do that sort of thing, especially when you have a complicated track count. Because, yes, they can look at the CSV files and hopefully they'll have the, the right name on the right track, but it doesn't explain uh, for, or, or suggest using a different uh, channel of that particular take and also what, what went wrong. Mm. Especially as, and also, especially when doing music things, where you, you're laying down music tracks and trying to quieten down everything else, but the dialogue, but the music's still in the background on a different track. It's, 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 CSV files are only really, mm. I think, as a backup for what the editors are doing. Okay. And what do you find now in terms of your approach with you know, close miking techniques and, and, and having booms? I mean, obviously, every scene calls for a different type of setup, but um, I guess with the digital approach, do you find that more is better? Or do you, I remember uh, last time we spoke about King's Speech, there's a, an aspect of, of saying that, you know, you, you kind of want to limit the decisions, I think, a little bit. <laughs> I would love to limit it, limit the decisions only because, I, you know, I still have a bone of contention is the fact that we shot a whole film in nine weeks yeah. and uh, the sound editors probably have, they could have, you know, six months or, in fact, the, uh, the film I've just done, they'll have 18 months to get it right. Mm. And the temptation, I'm sure, is to change everything that I've done. And I've always... Uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's very difficult, that. Unless I sit over them every day, how is it going to happen? Um, and, not, and that's not to say that I get it right every time, but surely one should be able to mix it, and hopefully the mix track will be something... That will be heard on the screen later. Mm. So, what what is a lot of the your go to gear that you've been using over the years that is kind of, is a constant with your with your cart and your setup? Right, I suppose the constant um, is I'm still using the same uh, microphones in the booms, which is um, Sennheiser MKH60s. Mm -hmm. I will use shirts sometimes, but I feel that they don't suck in the sound, especially on the noisy locations we have to put up with. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's nice to think you can sit, at, you can sit, at, sit and record in a soundproof studio, but these days a soundproof studio is not soundproof because the way we shoot movies now is they, uh, all the rest of the so-called video and digital equipment mm -hmm. are in that soundproof studio with you. Mm -hmm. It's not like a television studio where everything's locked away. So uh, it's not unusual to have... Um, 30 fans running yeah. of, of other equipment, whether it be the grips, um, video assist, and so it does become a bit of a problem. So you're always trying to close mic, albeit with a boom over the top. Yeah. So I will use MKH-60s in the booms, um, even gone to MKH-70, the, the long gun mic for wind and things like that. Yeah. And then what I do is, is I use tram, trams or... Uh, DA mics in on on the radio mics. Yeah, what have you found in terms of your wireless setup? Have you found that there's been much improvements in the past few years, or are there kind of a tried and true methods? Uh, I'll give you an example of that. I mean, last year when before I started Muppets, we, we, because I knew I was going to do, I have to do a lot of, uh, well, Muppets is multi micing in the extreme because obviously the number of puppets. Yeah and all the operators. So, um, and I knew that we had a quite a heavy, sound heavy second unit. I bought 
a load. I use audios, radio mics, uh, the, 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 the English ones. Mm. But also, I thought I'd try out um, electrosonics too. So I bought both. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I could uh, experiment. And, um, the, and it was very interesting comparing them. There's not a lot of difference. The problem is with the electrosonics is that there's a delay problem. Uh, because of, of the digital system on them, which I found was messing up my system because I, I use phasing a lot between the radio mic and the boom. And I was constantly having to adjust that. And, of course, you can do that on a Yamaha mixer. You can completely adjust it and down to a frame. Mm. Um, and I was... I. I gave those to the second unit in the end, and I have to say, and I carried on with my audios. The audios have got smaller and better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the problem is in England is we have a huge problem in terms of um, the, the output level we're allowed to put out is very low, and the amount of interference now is, is just ridiculous. So we have a huge fight, which I don't think you have so much in the States. How much pre-production time are you given beforehand? Are you given a script at all? Is that important to you when before you get to, to shooting? Uh, the, the script is everything. Uh, I I supply the script, and what I do with it is I usually break it down into terms of very simple terms about where the locations are. I was brought on board very early because they were worried about uh, the aerodrome at Vista because they said, well, we're very close to a, a main road. What do you think we can do about it, or are we going to have to... Uh, move some of the scenes into different buildings there because this is an obsolete but obsolete building site yeah, yeah so that's quite important to have have the script and and some idea where they're going to shoot it before it's too late to change that's by the technical records it is too late to turn around and say well hang on this is no good for sound mm. if you can get in there earlier it pays off nice and what can you say just about um i mean you have like you're saying this ensemble which is so incredible and and they come on set and and how do you build rapport very quickly from the the, the top i mean are, is that something that you you have to establish with even a cast like this i think you have to with a cast like this you have to get on their side as quickly as possible in terms of uh their miking obviously hopefully you you spend some time with the costume department trying to work out what they're going to wear um all that really pays dividends later to to get on on the side of, of them and uh, and not be too much of a pain in the arse. Although often we are, as you know, sound men, yeah. and <laughs> try to get it right first time. Yeah. And do you find that you you're able to have those interactions every time with the costume departments? I think some costume departments are more user friendly than others. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on especially on what sort of costumes they are. For instance, whether, they, whether they've even dressed them in the first place, because often you get on a film where uh, they haven't actually decided on the costume till the morning, mm. literally. I think this is was much more tied down because obviously you had it, because it's a period dress, they, they have had to go out and look for the stuff and, and, and dress, the, dress the actors well before yeah. the scene. Was this a production that they were also working on the, the edit as it was being shot, or was it a kind of all, all the way through and let me, let me think about this. Now, the editor was in the States. Yeah. Uh, he was in the States, which, uh, which is obviously never makes it easy mm. because you're, you hear about there's a problem, it's too late, and da 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 yeah. So that's quite difficult. But I think we had an assistant editor who was syncing up in London too, mm. as coverage. Um, no, I, 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 there was not much interaction with them yeah. unless there was a problem. Is there much of uh, of kind of reviews of dailies that that you guys are being uh, given a chance to look at? Are you, was there that much interaction with that? I don't think there was much at all. I'll be frank with yeah. you. 
uh, as long as it all came out and was in sync and there wasn't a problem, <laughs> as you know, with digital cameras sometimes and more to do with time code, you can get into, you know, uh, paroxysms of delight or, or dismay about the fact it's a frame out or whatever, but most things can be sorted out later, as you know. Yeah. Was there a concern at all on your part of going to a digital side of, of these additional things to think about? No, i tell you what was interesting about this film there. Remember, I was on digital, but this film was shot on film. It's three perf, which is, which is uh, dare I say it, still a very easy way of working, having gone through God knows how many different um, digital cameras over the last couple of years. What are you finding in terms of what the crew is needing in terms of, you know, their listen back or just what, what your onset kind of setup is like with a digital versus a film crew? Well, uh, well, firstly, a digital crew is larger. Yeah. Uh, this is because of the sort of the dit side. Um, there are problems still with the picture delay, uh, depending on how much um, processing is. Uh, you, you know, you take the camera, which might be producing a two or three frames, but then you've got to put it. If you, they're going to have any sort of um, processing in terms of CGI, laying more stuff. Uh, video assist can put a delay in and then poor old sound has to think up a system of trying to get the two in sync so the director understands what's happening on the screen mm. because we are usually the full guys in terms of delaying the sound so it's in, ter- in, ter- in, 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 in with the picture and so therefore often these days we run two systems uh, because some people want direct audio I in sync with the floor as they're talking and some will want to sit in front of monitors uh, is there any compressing that you're doing to the tracks, or is it all on the fly? I don't compress. I limit, if I can, but not always that, too, because let's face it, the headroom now is ludicrous on, on mixers. Uh, so, um, you know, I yes, possibly you're passing it along to the next in line, which is the Diva, but um, obviously, which I've got a dig- digital inputs I'm using. Yeah. But um, I try not to. Uh, how, how do you feel in terms about how much these added effects you can you can do until it starts affecting voices? I mean, is there a concern because people obviously someone like Benedict has a really recognizable voice that people are drawn to? What, what did you find working with a track like that? Oh, it's fantastic. I, th- I think uh, I had no problem with any of the actors in terms of understanding what they're saying. Um, yeah, I, th- I think they're all very good, in fact. Very good. Uh, what do you find, though, in terms of um, just like with a film like this, where it is a you know, pretty dialogue-heavy scene? Which is great. Yeah. It's lovely. <laughs> Sorry, I, I love dialogue-heavy movies. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I haven't done a, you know, a, 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 a few gunshots and a shout for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, no, I do. I like. I mean, it, come on, it's a radio it's radio with pictures. Sorry, I'm going to say it. It's radio with pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was I was pulled into this because I like the script. I think it's just it's just interesting. It's fantastic. Yeah. And do you find that like a, a film like this in terms of that it makes your job easier because there is such a focus on performance? Uh, no, because people still have to be reminded that we're there to record the sound. E- even in this dialogue-heavy sort of movie, you have to point out and say, no, that was no good for sound, we need to go again because of the playing over the top, and you really don't want to ADR this, do you? No, not at all. And how did you find, how, how did Morton respond to, you know, did he check in with you at all? Was there much of that? Oh, no, we had a, we had a, yeah, we had a very good relationship in terms of working out what was sensibly, realistically, uh, to, to get the sound. And there was probably only one place where I'm thinking, really, we could not do anything about it. 
I mean, what, what can you say in terms of guys who are, you know, getting into this field? I mean, when I, when I hear other guys who've been doing this for a long time, it's like they're still nervous. They're still second-guessing themselves. That never leaves. So, I mean, what is, for you, the the thing that well, keeps you on your feet? I'll give an example. I'll, yeah, no, absolutely. I'll give, yes, of course, I'm still very enthusiastic about what I do. Yeah. Uh, and, you have, and also you have to be nervous because... Something so simple isn't always that simple. Yeah. Uh, but I'll give an example of the fact I had a trainee on the last film with me who I told him over and over again, don't go into sound, find a sensible job to do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 16 weeks later, he still, he still wants to do it. Yeah. Well, what do you find in terms of um, people who are coming into the field today? What are they faced with? Which, I mean, they're staples, I think, of any type of um, apprenticeship or type of job like this where there's basic fundamentals that you have to understand but the guys that are coming in now what are you finding that you know are they more savvy to some of these uh new technologies and approaches yes i suppose people coming in now are much more certainly computer literate than i am Mm -hmm. but you know something the the secret of the film industry is nothing to do with the equipment it's also to do with getting on with people it's it's uh Mm. it's how it's the etiquette on the floor about about how to get on with the grips, how to get on with the sparks, mm-hmm. politely ask them to move a choke if it's noisy. Yeah. Uh, know how your positioning is on the floor, what you can get away with, when you can shout, when you can't shout. And mm. uh, that takes a few years to get used to. Yeah. And I probably haven't got used to it yet. <laughs> what do you find in terms of keeps, I mean, with uh, even with the nine-week, uh, production schedule what keeps you focused is it is it a matter of not <laughs> of of showing up early and staying late or i mean what is what is kind of your approach and secret to that i suppose the answer to that is you yes you have to turn up early and be prepared and know what you're shooting that day and especially with an ensemble of this sort the numbers you have to be totally prepped on where you're going to try to get their radio mics uh, because, quite frankly, by the time you press the record button, it's too late. Mm-hmm. And how many ch- how many times does it happen to you when you are in that position when people are ready to roll and you have to stop production? I mean, does that happen? These unexpected things come up. Yeah, things obviously unexpected things uh, come up. It's often, um, you, for instance, a, a, an artist gets an actor gets dressed. Uh, we mic him up when he turns on set. He's got a couple more coats on or a mm-hmm. scarf, which why didn't they tell us about it? Yeah, sure. Um, things like that. So, no, you have to rush in and do it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm one, not one of these to complain about it later. I would rather hold my hand up there and then and say, I've got it wrong. Let's get it sorted. It will take two seconds. And the first assistant will say, no, it won't. And I will say, yes, it will. <laughs> yeah. I will have that little confab. But you have to do it. Yeah. You have to own up at the time. Yeah. How, how do you describe the, um, the community, uh, at least where you're based, um, of sound recordist. I mean, I'm sure you know everyone on every set almost at this point that, you know, that's been around in, in that production scene. Is that the case? Is it, uh, are there more projects that are out and about than, than before? Oh, there's definitely opportunity for new folks to come in. Um, I think in our, the British cases, and certainly how I did it was, uh, I started off in television 
and, and sort of moved to film. Uh, not for really any reason, because I enjoyed television. I like the pace of television. I think what happens, in, and especially in my case, is you start off in television and move to films. Mm -hmm. uh, not because I didn't enjoy TV. I think because I like the pace of TV. Yeah. Uh, you only have one chance to get it right, almost. But I think what's happened is, is, is that uh, you move into films to do bigger and bolder projects. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of new faces coming in now and it's good for them and it's uh, yeah. and uh, I, there's nothing wrong with new blood yeah and what do you find in terms of when it these films that get these uh you know just amazing reviews and they we're getting into award season now does it when yeah. you, was that a you know is that kind of like the chatter uh, when these are in production that this is going to be an award film are people even aware of how they're going to be positioned if i knew the answer to that yeah <laughs> I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I don't know. I don't know how it works out. And in yeah. fact, it's strange you say that because you know I'm I've, I've been sitting here over the, over the holidays watching lots of new films that I've been sent. And uh, a good example is Whiplash. Yeah, sure. Which I never heard anything about it, and and I watched it, and I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then I won't mention another one. There's certain other yeah. ones which you think are uh, yeah. But isn't it, is it isn't it all to do with how much money you can throw it throw at it in the post production? Yeah. I, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. I, I never understand how the, 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 the word gets out from, uh, from something, for instance, like this. It's, it's because this is quite a small film, mm -hmm. like The King's Speech was. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of, been a lot of interest over Bletchley anyway. Um, I, don't, I, 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 I don't know what... Surely you should be able to tell me. <laughs> I wish I could. Well, it just, it just feels like just when films come out, uh, there's a certain tone and kind of... Uh, I don't know, respect paid to the to the process of of what the director was trying to do, and I feel like when they come out this time of year, or when there when there are films that come out this time of year and they are kind of in the awards scheme, it feels like the focus and the attention that people give to a film is very it's just different than the films that come out in the rest of the year, like you're saying these action packed films. And I don't know, I, I I can't imagine you know if someone said, oh well, this film's gonna be coming out and it's gonna be an Oscar contender or whatever, and people are gonna want to consider it that people would you know change how they do their work because they i mean i don't know no no i understand what you're saying and, yeah. and you know it's tempting to say so do you just bring out your films in the in the, in the november sort of period yeah. to make sure they're recognized but i think it's a great shame because obviously you'll get a film you know brought out in february or march and is it going to be is it going to even be remembered by november december yeah yeah, it's good. Yeah. I find that slightly worrying. Yeah. Well, I mean, how do you? How many films can you work on throughout the year? What is uh? How do you? How do you even schedule out your year? How do I schedule out my year? I try. I try to. I try to do uh, two or three films. That's all I really like doing. Um, and I like to do little ones, and I like to do big ones. Um, and after I've, after I've done a little one, I always say, oh, I never want to do a little one again because they haven't got enough money to do it properly. And then after, after I do a big one, I say, they've had too much money, they've wasted so much money, I want to do a little one again. So That's how my mind. Yeah, so I mean, with a film like this, what happens is it's kind of in between. It has enough, it has enough to do it properly, but then it's also a lower budget film. So what, what, what are the kind of pros and cons of that? Well, I, I don't know because let's face it, it's what you're talking about is the sound department, yeah. which uh, might, on a big film, they won't necessarily spend any more on the sound. They might yeah. spend it on the post production, but they won't necessarily shoot it differently on the floor because it's got got more money. In fact, if anything, one could say 
they won't pay any attention to the sound or mm. be less attention to the sound because they know they can replace it later. So mm. that's that's why I quite like little films. Early this year, I did a, a musical called London Road, mm. which was all live singing, mm. you know, uh, a la, a la, a la you know, Les, Les Mis, Les but out on, out, out on the streets of London. So wow. that was a bit of a test. But it's, um, and with very little money. Yeah. But it was fantastic to do because it was a challenge. I, I like challenges. Yeah. What, what do you find these days, you know, when you try to set out for your year, what, what how do you kind of navigate uh, the types of films that you're able to work on? Is it based on the relationships that you have? or uh, it's, a, it's a combination of uh, usual problem. It's, it's, it's a, what producers are coming up with, what directors are coming up with, what scripts are around. Yeah. Um, preferred to do imitation game because um, I got the script. You yeah. see what I, it's, right. And I think that's quite important. Yeah. Good. Is that, right? is that right to say, Michael? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, I, 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 I'm just curious because it's like, you know, I hear about projects, you know, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month at the most beforehand, and I know about them. And, yeah. and my projects are very short, you know, maybe only a few weeks. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, what am I going to do next month? But you're thinking, well, what? Am I going to do over the next six months or the next four months? Yeah, and... no, absolutely, absolutely, because you know, it's I'd rather wait for something to happen too. Um, I didn't, I didn't like, for instance, Into the Woods. Um, yeah, I, I was interviewed for that. I, I hate that music. Yeah, I personally hate that music. Yeah. So therefore, I didn't want to do it. Yeah, but I, I, I am in the position of being able to do that. Yeah, a lot of people aren't. Um, I prefer to work on things that are interesting. Um, even, even the Muppets, even the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was just—I've always wanted to do a Muppet movie. Oh yeah, well that's—I right? mean that's <laughs> not many people can say that they worked on a Muppet movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, it's just—it was just fantastic. Yeah. Well, what are you what are you looking for now that we're here in the new year? What are you looking forward to? I mean, uh, coming up for for yourself and the, your work, and I mean, how many years now have you been doing this? I've been doing this since 1970. Okay, so. so I mean, 45th year for god's sake it's ludicrous yeah uh i don't know i mean uh, I, I i'm looking forward to something interesting me too that sounds that sounds like a fair request well john thank you so much yeah thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this film you know i think for people to go out and see the film i i i saw a screener but i want to you know i want to go see it again in the theaters because there's nothing like seeing a a film in a, in a space and um yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, I did. A, I did a Q and A for this uh, for BAFTA uh, week before last, and uh, you know, two hundred people, and it went. Yeah. It went down very well, I have to say. Do you see movies in the theaters? Your own movies? That... I try to. No, no, absolutely, absolutely, yes. Is that yeah, is that the? I mean, is that the first time that you see it? Basically, is when it's out. Uh, no, it depends. We have cast and crews. We have yeah. things like that. Uh, final mixes I'll go to because yeah. that, I find that very interesting. I tried to go to actually the one before the final mix. Okay. Uh, but uh, in this particular case, because I was away and I was working um, doing Ice of Glass, I didn't get a chance to see it, the invitation game. So that was my, the Q&A was the first time I saw that. So that was quite oh, an nice. interesting experience, then being asked questions about it afterwards. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, seeing it with an audience is always fun too. I mean... Yeah, they have a different relationship to the film, and do you find that when you are watching a screening, that you are also thinking about all the behind-the-scenes aspects to that scene and how it came about, how it was built? Oh, absolutely, especially oh yeah, if it's my own film, yeah. I mean, uh, perfect example of that is um, is it Birdman? Birdman, yeah. Birdland, yeah, Birdman. Uh, I mean, I have to say, I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, yet, I have. Yeah. I, I, a very, very clever, technically clever film. Yeah. Now, whether that 
takes it away from the story. I'm not sure at the moment. But some of those Steadicam shots were just amazing. <laughs> Were they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, imagine. I mean, they're almost over the top. Almost. When will this scene? You know, that's the trouble with digital now. You can do eleven minutes just straight off, can't you? Or you do thirty minutes straight off. But it was just astounding how much they were doing. I can only imagine that you're thinking about how they're how they're covering the scene, and I'm thinking about how they well, shot. Of course, the scene, I'm yeah. trying to work out where the boom operator <laughs> yeah. down, down some of those um, narrow corridors. I couldn't work it out. Uh, awesome. Oh, hats off. Maybe that that that's that's enough to keep us going for this long well that, uh, it's really encouraging i think for a lot of people who are just getting into this type of work and to see you doing this now for 45 years is a sign of you know just how much fun it can be so must... it can i still get i still get questions uh, about you know i did children and men i still get uh -huh. asked questions about how we did the sound in the in the car you know with the doggy cam above and yeah anyway uh, you know that's but that's what one thrives off isn't it yeah the interaction yeah cool well, thanks, John. I really appreciate it. And have a, a good year here. And uh, hopefully we can talk soon about some of the next projects. Yeah. Thanks very much, Michael. Yeah. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Cheers.